Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, January 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the coronavirus pandemic is revealing more about the financial security of Mississippi's rural hospitals. We examine efforts to expand Medicaid in the state. Then state lawmakers encourage eligible Mississippians to get vaccinated. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a Mississippi teen is recognized as a top science scholar. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's rural hospitals were facing challenges before the coronavirus pandemic began last year. Questions regarding their viability surfaced regularly, and some, like North Oak Regional Medical Center in Tate County, closed down due to mismanagement. Now the current pandemic is adding new financial obstacles with limitations on elective surgeries and an influx of un- or underinsured patients. For years, a collection of health professionals and state lawmakers have sought to solve this problem by advocating the expansion of Medicaid. Supporters say the federal program would inject over a billion dollars into the state's health care system. Tim Moore is the executive director of the Mississippi Hospital Association. He says rural hospitals have been working toward a more sustainable model. Hospitals are trying to change their footprint. Um, prior to the pandemic, there was work being done with our small rural hospitals to, to try to redefine themselves, to move more toward uh, telehealth and outpatient services and, and be able to have a sustainable model. Well, we've all been pushed toward providing more outpatient services and decrease our capability on the inpatient side. Well, now that we've seen that a 100-year pandemic can come back, was that really a good idea? Well, in all reason, financially, there's no way we can afford to keep that kind of infrastructure in place across the country. So um, the the small hospitals, small rural hospitals, are going to have to continue down a path of, of providing access and treatment to patients on an entirely different level. What the expansion does is it allows them to have the financial capability, that additional money uh, that... Um, they can put back into infrastructure and create those things or, or purchase those resources that they need in order to make that transition. Without that transition, uh, we're going to see more of our rural hospitals find themselves in, in peril. With Medicaid expansion, Mississippi would receive a billion dollars a year. In return, Mississippi would have to put up 10%, and lawmakers say... That's not doable. We already have a tight budget. But I know that the Mississippi 
Hospital Association has a program called Mississippi Cares, which would address that. How? Correct. And and uh, that's, again, that's another great question, one that we have uh, talked about in the past that uh, we know the state of Mississippi would have difficulty uh, meeting that demand. So hospitals stepped up and they said, okay, look, we will fund the state share. We do that now. We do that with the DISH program, which is a, a federal program that provides additional subsidies to hospitals that do an excessive amount of uncompensated care, and then also uh, in the uh, hospital access program that's set up by the state. Um, the money that comes down, the hospitals pay 100% of the, of the federal or the state match in order to draw that money down. Hospitals would do the same exact thing to draw down 90% of what would pay for those expansion population patients. Uh, let me give you a good comparison of that. The states is doing that now. They're using the same logic. Uh, you may have seen that we just renewed the agreement to put inmates in Medicaid. Well, people really should think about that. Now, we're willing and going to provide good care for our inmates, which we should. Are we not equally obligated to take care of poor working Mississippians and afford health care insurance? Not moving toward expansion in the state of Mississippi you have to really stop and think, uh, is this a financially conservative approach? I mean, we can save the state of Mississippi a lot of money. Individuals that we're talking about here that don't get treatment early and address problems that they have, their problems exacerbate. We, they, they get sicker. They wind up becoming diabetics or going to dialysis. And those things that at least you can postpone if the proper treatment is done early. Governor Tate Reeves is adamant against expanding Medicaid. He says that government should not be, uh, or more people shouldn't be relying on the government for their health care. How do you respond to him? Well, let's see. We've got um, about 25,000 kids that are on the CHIP program. Uh, What are we going to do if the federal government shuts that down? What are we going to do if uh, on the inmate program now, if the federal government says, look, we're no longer going to pay for inmates? then the state's going to have to do that. Uh, we've, we decided a long time ago uh, in this country that health care was essential to the well-being of, of our citizens, uh, not only from a personal standpoint, but from a public health standpoint, from a workforce standpoint. So uh, I think the federal government, and uh, I mean, our state has been slow to do it, but even, even Mississippi was not the last state to join the Medicaid program. I certainly hope that we don't find ourselves being the last one to expand Medicaid to a working population in the state of Mississippi. Tim Moore is the CEO of the Mississippi Hospital Association. Tim, thanks so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for uh, having me on. Lawmakers like Senator Hob Bryan have long pushed for Mississippi to join the list of states that have expanded the federal program. The Democrat says it makes financial sense, but political ideology has been the biggest obstacle. We had an election uh, about a year ago. One of the candidates for governor supported Medicaid expansion. One was very clear that he did not. The winner of that election was the opponent of Medicaid expansion. Elections have consequences. The people of the state have voted not to expand Medicaid. And he is adamant about it, saying he doesn't want more Mississippians uh, on the government dole, so to speak. That is, that is exactly that is exactly the position of the opponents of Medicaid expansion. You've summed it up. They do not want people receiving Medicaid. They are willing 
for the state of Mississippi to do without revenue. They're willing for the state to have less money in its general fund because of their ideology. Because to be clear about this, from the word go, and certainly now, uh, the state of Mississippi, the general fund of the state of Mississippi, the state treasury, would make money if we expanded Medicaid. It is costing us not to expand Medicaid. And the reason we're willing to pay that cost is because of the ideology you just described. In other words, if it takes a government program to save your life, we don't want to save your life because it's more important that we don't have a government program. That's where we are. That's it, in a nutshell. Senator Bryan, is there a consensus among legislators or uh, a number of legislators who would support Medicaid expansion? I assume not. Overwhelmingly, the people have elected legislators who believe that it is more important not to expand Medicaid than it is to save human lives, to alleviate human suffering, and put money in the state treasury. That's the choice that has been made from the word go over and over again. That's their position, and they're proud of it. The state of Mississippi would make money on this proposition. There is no lost revenue to be made up. And it has been this way from the word go. And that doesn't even take into account that we would alleviate human suffering and save lives. But it's more important that we do not have this government program. And yet there are some lawmakers, but there are some lawmakers who say, who are arguing that we shouldn't expand Medicaid because Mississippi can't afford it. Is is that, as you said, it goes back to ideology. It really is not. That's not the reason. That's just what's being said. I don't have to say this any other way. There's nothing for the state of Mississippi to afford. The state of Mississippi from the word go, and certainly right now, when, when the current Medicaid match is like four cents on the dollar, and that's before you take into account the uh, provider taxes that we would collect, and the economic effect of just putting that much money into the economy. The state of Mississippi would make money. It's been the case from the word go, it would make money. The fact that opponents parrot the phrase over and over, we just can't expand it, is, is a curiosity, but there's there's no cost to, to doing it. There never has been. It's, it's exasperating. Your frustration is clear. Well, this, this is... This is the failure to allow the United States government to spend more than $1 million a day in the state of Mississippi to help provide care for the sick and the people who who need health care. This is the greatest single public policy failure I've experienced since I've been in the legislature. It, It is completely driven by ideology. It is completely removed from reality. Hob Bryan is a Democratic state senator representing the 7th District. Thank you, Senator Bryan. Sure. Call again. This report was produced in partnership with the Community Foundation for Mississippi's Local News Collaborative, which is independently funded in part by Microsoft Corporation. The collaborative includes the Clarion Ledger, the Jackson Advocate, Jackson State University, Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and Mississippi Today.
Coming up, state lawmakers encourage eligible Mississippians to get vaccinated. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For gavel-to-gavel coverage of the 2021 Mississippi Legislative Session, watch At Issue from MPB News. I'm Wilson Stribling. Join me and our political analysts, Republican Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones, as we discuss and debate the issues facing Mississippians and how they impact your state. Tune in Friday nights at 7.30 on MPB-TV or listen to the podcast on mpbonline.org slash issue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Two weeks into the new legislative session, a Mississippi lawmaker has tested positive for the coronavirus. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman's office says it's been notified one senator has tested positive for COVID-19. Last summer, an outbreak occurred at the Capitol that left over 30 lawmakers, including Hoseman, infected with the virus. The notification of the new case came as legislators and their families have been getting vaccinated at the Capitol. Hoseman tells our Ashley Norwood vaccinations are the state's path to normalcy. I think it's important for every Mississippian to get vaccinated. This is how our kids get back to school. This is how we come back to some kind of normalcy. We can go to a restaurant and meet with our friends. We all need to be vaccinated. I think that's a critical thing. And today uh, they brought them to the Capitol for all of us that are over age 65. So we qualified today. There have been some concerns about the vaccine rollout. What are your thoughts and, and what do you hope to see coming in the future? We, we need to have everybody have access to the vaccine as quickly as possible. And I noticed that the governor and, and the rest of them and uh, Mima and others are working really hard, Department of Public Health working really hard to get this out. So everyone needs to take advantage of that. We've, un- unfortunately, it's a, a critical time. It takes a while to vaccinate two million people. And so we've got people having to drive to Natchez and Greenwood and around. And uh, that's an inconvenience, but in the long run, it's really not. Uh, what, We'd like to have everybody be able to go down to their local uh, drugstore and get their vaccination, but it's impossible to do that with the number of the men allocated to the state. So the governor's doing his work. We're trying to get it out as quick as possible. Everybody register. There's a telephone number you can go and get your schedule for it. And quite soon, after the 65 is over, there'll be another tranche of group coming up very shortly in the next couple of weeks, and we want everybody to get vaccinated. How was your experience today? Oh, it was nice. It's just another shot. I had the flu shot earlier, and now I've had this shot. I guess I'm inoculated against everything but the legislature. So for people who may be still on the fence or afraid, what would you say to them? Get the vaccine. It, it protects you. It protects your family. I've got seven grandchildren, and uh, we don't want them to get sick. And so everybody that you your church, your friends, your church people, you know, everybody, you're protecting yourself, but you're also protecting them. So I would encourage everybody to um, use that quote from the Bible, you know, love your neighbor as thyself. So love your neighbor and yourself. Get a vaccine. Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much. Thank you. It's good to see you all. Democrat Oscar Denton of Warren County says he's been observing the vaccine rollout in the state. Denton, who says this vaccine is the first he's ever taken, wants to see more doses distributed. We need more vaccine. Uh, I wish that everybody could have it uh, today. Definitely want everyone to, you know, to get vaccinated. It is something that is needed in the state of Mississippi. 
especially, you know, um, for all of us to get vaccinated when we can, as soon as possible. I know some of us is a little hesitant. I was one of those people that uh, had some doubts about it. But I think it's best to get vaccinated and be on the safe side than not get it. So what was the deciding factor for you? The deciding factor for me was that what good would it do me to not be vaccinated and people around me are vaccinated? So, and I still could be a carrier. So that's something that I didn't want to be a carrier. I have family members that's outside of this, this state. So and I want to visit them. So I want to feel kind of comfortable in doing that. So I think that, you know, I think the good outweigh the bad in it is, is the bottom line. You did address some skepticism, uh, particularly in the African, African-American community, we know. What are your thoughts about that? Why do you, why do you think so many African-Americans may be well, if they like me, uh, this is the first time that I ever would be taking a shot as far as a vaccine. I've never, ever taken the flu shot, and I think I've done fairly well. I, I don't catch the flu, so I, I, I think I got some, some good immune system going on with me. So, you know, and it's just the unknown. You know, it's just unknown. We have a lot of rhetoric going on out here about, you know, what it can do and what it cannot do. But really, I don't think no one knows, you know, all the ins and outs of this vaccine. As long as I can walk out of here and don't grow another arm, another leg, and be in my right mind, I think we'll be good. Representative, we certainly appreciate you for talking with us. Thank you. State Health Department epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says in a statement they are aware of one case at the Capitol and conclude the only contact during the infectious period was a family member. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a Mississippi teen is recognized as a top science scholar. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Eczema, or atopic dermatitis, basically that is a, an allergic response. It's one of the atopic diseases, along with uh, asthma and allergic rhinitis, or sort of hay fever type symptoms. That's an allergic response to something in your environment. It can be something that you come into contact with on the skin. It could be things that you're eating. It could be things that you're, you know, inhaling, too, that you get the skin rash. So it doesn't have to be something that's in contact with it. Psoriasis is an autoimmune disease that actually affects the, the uh, layers of the skin. And it can look similar to atopic dermatitis. Uh, but it acts a little bit different. The treatment is different, too, in a lot of ways. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today 
at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A Mississippi teen is being recognized as a top science scholar by the Society for Science. Michael Liu, a senior at the Mississippi School for Math and Science, was named one of 300 scholars in the 2021 Regeneron Science Talent Search, the nation's oldest and most prestigious science and math competition for high school seniors. Liu shares his journey and interest in biomedical technology research with our Michael Guidry. In about my freshman year of high school, um, I decided to just create a science fair project to do a little bit of research, you know, the bulk of my resume to figure out what research is all about. And then after entering the science fair, then a lot, a lot of students, my teachers, for example, they mentioned a lot about the Regeneron Science Talent Search as a prestigious competition for people interested in doing research. So this is something you've had your eyes on for essentially three years, your entire high school you know, academic career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my research teacher, you know, hyped it up a lot, talked a lot about this competition over the like past three years, and then I finally decided to apply. So knowing that you had this end goal your senior year, beginning as a freshman, uh, did you begin thinking about what you wanted the, the topic of your project to be early on? When did you, when did you decide on the, the topic that you based your research on, and, and what was that topic? Um, I think the first few years of my research, I wanted to build like a foundation of tools that, could, that I could use to actually explore my interests. And around my junior year, I started thinking more about the Regeneron Science Talent Search. And I kind of centered around the topic of cancer and using artificial intelligence to develop new therapeutic solutions. Okay, so your project title um, is very academic, uh, Development of Predictive Tools for Anti-Cancer Peptide Candidates Using uh, Generative Machine Learning Models. Uh, can, you, can you break that down for us? Tell us exactly what that is and, and what did you learn from, from doing this project? Yeah, absolutely. So scientists have uh, started looking more into these specific proteins that can fight off cancer and tumors, for example, and so it's important to discover new types of these anti-cancer proteins in order to develop them as drugs. So one way that we can do that is by using artificial intelligence to look off of past instances of like data sets of like these cancer peptides in order to generate new instances. We've seen with the new coronavirus vaccines from BioNTech and, and Moderna, they're biomed, um, that there's there's a technology aspect of it. Did you pay close attention to developments of this vaccine, and did that has that influenced you in any way, and where you want to take the next steps of your academic career? I definitely think that I loosely followed a lot of the developments with the vaccine, and I was impressed with like a lot of different projects. Like for instance, in California, I saw that like scientists use computational models in order to develop a like a new type of like vaccine model. So I definitely think that it's very impressive and it's inspiring that a lot of other scientists are starting to use artificial intelligence in order to pioneer um, the discovery of new like drugs, vaccines. And I think that it also kind of like pushes me toward this field as well. Like in the future, I think I do definitely want to work in this field um, because I know that it's, you know, it's becoming more and more important nowadays and hearing the headlines about it every single day. I think that it's important to apply technology and artificial intelligence in the biomedical field. 
this recognition comes with a, a financial award for you and the school. It also makes you uh, eligible to be one of 40 finalists that will be announced later this week. Senior year is a whirlwind for a lot of students. Um, when you have a chance to kind of stop and, and think about it, what what does it mean to be recognized as one of 300 and, and to have the chance to be named one of 40 finalists nationwide? Yeah, I definitely think that it marks a good amount of progress that I've made over the past few years, the foundational skills that I've built, the knowledge and in artificial intelligence, and then the health sector that I've learned about. It marks something important that I've made through my research paper. So I definitely think that's an honor itself. And I think the money will also help out with college financials later on. So what is the next step for you, Michael? You're, you're about to graduate in a few months. Um, you are, you know, obviously uh, have a, a developed set of skills when it comes to science research, biomed research. Uh, what's next for you? So in the next school year, I will be uh, attending the University of Pennsylvania and pursuing a degree in computational biology and business so that, so that I can further my interest in the medical field, in biology and computational tools while also delving deeper into the business side of actually bringing these tools into the market. All right. Well, Michael Liu is a senior at the Mississippi School of Math and Science in Columbus and one of 300 recognized scholars from the Regeneron Science Talent Search. Michael, congratulations. Keep up the good work and uh, good luck. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.